Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Are we at the point yet, Carol, where we find out what that song was that he played you the, the other night? Sixth of Ooh. May. Sixth of May. Graham has a new song. Tallyman. Ah. Could it be for the new Seekers? Or could it be for Black, Brown and Beige? Do, do, do. To in our house on a Friday, yeah. a man calls every week. We give him a pound as he goes on his round. From cradle to grave, we're expected to save. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that line has stayed with me because I've not heard Tallyman. As you know, I've not heard it since oh, '67. It's funny you should say this, Carol. Would, would you, you like, like would to like hear, hear it? it now? Yes, please, I would love to. Here is another side of one of the acetates that we cleaned up and, and digitised the other night. Yes. This this is very scratchy again, Carol. I'm I'm hoping yes. that you, you you hear the sort of raw beauty on here. So enjoy yeah. enjoy. Thank you. To our house on a Friday, a man calls every. I don't know if we had, I, I'll only know this when we watch this back. When I sang a bit of it to you before, I think I was in the same in the key. key. Yeah, I know. I, right, I was in the right key. It was like yeah. wow. That was amazing. That I just yeah. I could have started on any note, but it was as if somewhere subliminal, 
And you that is in, yeah, them. perfect pitch after 55 years. That's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Spooky, almost. And there were yeah. so many, so many Graham signatures in there, weren't there? I love that that really cool guitar riff with the pedal bass underneath. I mean, oh yeah, that is so oh, yeah. so Graham. Um, yeah. And is is that a, an old Jaime poem, Paul? Didn't um, didn't it's, Graham it, talk to us about this at some stage? Um, that isn't a Jaime poem, um, but it must be a Jaime lyric, yeah, because it's got those that wonderful observational <coughs> details about the accoutrements. Of, of life uh, and and it's yeah it's quite dark yeah as you say the key line you've picked it out from cradle to grave we're expected to save um, it has, that line it's, it's I'm a kind of now that line has such a profound effect on me mm-hmm. um you know it's the one line of the song that i remember you know because it's kind of like Wow. Oh, yes, because, of course, as well as my French music, I was doing A-level English and I was studying right. metaphy- John Donne's metaphysical poetry. Hmm. You know, so it was like, you know, like hearing interesting lyric language was like, yeah. So so a tally man is a debt collector. Is that is, is that a phrase you you know, Carol? I mean, I didn't know it until I heard the song. No, I, I, ha- I think we had to be told at the time. I think the tally man... Yeah, I think that's what he is. We give him a pound. So if you'd bought something, it's probably instead of, you know, the sort of personal higher purchase. They used, cre- used to do credit in the, in the local credit, shop, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think that's I think that's who the tallyman is. I okay. Think so. My yeah. my mum and dad, um, this is back in the in the early 70s, they used to go around collecting uh, on the Provi round, if you remember that. It was kind of a... It was loans, and and they go around. Exactly. Yeah, they go. Yeah. They literally, mum would go around on on a bike, um, collecting from from the estate. Um, wow. Yeah, when you when you think now, it's not the kind of thing you'd expect your mum to be doing. But, uh, <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, quite a, quite quite a dark and dangerous occupation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was always on those long, dark winter evenings. What do you uh, What do you know of the of the version of Tallyman that was that was actually released, Carol? Are you familiar with with it? A version that actually went well, out. But, but in in a few in a few um, days' time, according to my diary, there's going to be another part to uh, what why why Black Brown Beige didn't do Taliban. Ah, okay. But there's going to that's going to crop up. But one of the things that's wonderful for me, and Paul will appreciate this because I've sat with Paul and talked to Paul and had feelings of tremendous, almost like guilt about actually having this in my possession because I didn't know why I had it in my possession. But now I do know why. I I didn't have it in my possession for any reason other than Black, Brown and Beige might be singing this. So Mm -hmm. naturally I would have been, I had permission to have a copy of it so we could learn the song. And you cannot believe the relief Paul, because you know that in conversations, every conversation I've said to you, I don't know why I've got this. Yeah, why yes. have I got it? And of course, my my my, I feel like my diaries have absolved me of any wrongdoing. <laughs> I didn't do any wrong. I, it was given to Black, Brown, and Beige to learn to sing. Right. Wow, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. So just to carry on, because on the tenth of May, hang on. So what's going on now? Um, after we're talking about Graham living for his music and he's got this new new song Taliban. A hit, I hope, for the seekers or us, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then we were in the car with Harvey and we met Johnny Hamp. Johnny Hamp was a producer at Granada. And of course, Harvey knew everybody. Okay. And then the next night, Harvey and Pete came round uh, and Graham phoned and I had a chat to Graham. So I was probably talking to Graham about Tallyman. But on the next day, this is a really interesting entry, because on the 10th of Wednesday, the 10th of May, 1967, I had my music orals and it was Graham's 21st. So I just thought that was really funny that I'd written down both those things. Okay. So let's move on, because on the 13th of May, which is now a Saturday afternoon where we always rehearsed at Nan's, Harvey came to hear our arrangement of Tallyman. Mm, Not pleased. Oh. Spoke of Graham as a genius and we shouldn't waste his time. Whoa. That must have been an interesting conversation. Strong words and literally, he will buy us new guitars for London. (laughs) There's always, you know, there's a down, yeah. but there's always yeah. an up. So do you think he was trying to sort of whip you into shape, whip your arrangement into shape, as it were? You must have done it like a three-part harmony arrangement for Tally Man. No, I, I don't know. It wasn't, it, it wasn't working for us. Right, OK. It, it wasn't. Up until that point, we'd always chosen our own songs. Yeah, and okay. the shape of things, we adapted to fit our, ourselves. Yeah. I don't, actually, I don't even remember rehearsing Tally Man although there must have been enough of it subliminally for yeah. me yeah. just come out and sing it to you in the right key. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm really pleased with that. Pleased with myself. She's pleased. May, okay. Yeah, I mean, um, we'll come on to the release version of, of the song, Carol, when, when, when you're ready to. And, yes, okay. Uh, by, by a bloke. And maybe there's something inherently male in, in the in idea the of delivery. I, I don't know. Yeah. So... Um, after 14th of May, we're at my house. Mum and Dad would have loved that. Harvey and Graham and someone else came as well. And we recorded at my, this Mum and Dad's, we recorded Stew Ball. That was uh, Peter, Paul and Mary. Oh, Stew Ball was a racehorse. Yeah. Okay. So we'd have sung all that in harmony. And Tallyman. Okay, if, if I could just, just sorry to interrupt, Stew Ball, uh, you could probably pick it up from Carol's snatch of melody. That's quite uh, notorious because John Lennon stole the melody for Happy Christmas, War Is Over. Oh, War is yes. Almost started yes. directly from... Christmas. Oh, oh, it's Christmas. Oh, oh, the fairgrounds were crowded And the Stew Ball was there But the bedding was heavy Exactly the same, but it's, it's a traditional song. The Hollies also recorded it in the 60s and he might have sort of got their version, but um, yeah, that's... Uh, it's, it's, exactly possible. it's possible that Harvey was looking for us to sing songs that didn't have... Um, and I wonder now whether the Ballad of the Shape of Things maybe had some kind of contractual. Remember, it's some, I can't. We, we know who it was written by. Maybe, maybe EMI just didn't get permission for it to be recorded. There right. could have been. It could have been all logistical contractual yeah. Uh, yeah. circumstances. 
But Corsier might say to Harvey, no, those girls can't record it. Maybe it would only be allowed to be recorded by someone already famous, you know? Possibly, yeah. Possibly, yeah. Um, but the interesting thing here at my house, um, so my sister is 13, Joanne is 13, and she's just started um, writing songs and she's got an amazing, still has an amazing voice. Um, and I've put here, they all heard Joanne sing for the first time. And when they heard my little sister sing, they were like, Harvey and Gray were like, they were like, absolutely. In fact, I must ask Joanne if she actually remembers that wow. day. Because wow. it says here, May the 4th, Sunday, May the 14th, Graham, Harvey and someone else who I'm not mentioning came round, uh, recorded Stewball, Tallyman and Schoolgirl. I keep mentioning... Schoolgirl? I keep mentioning, oh, I keep love writing. That I, I, I can't remember it, Sean. Oh, well, you can dig it out right now. It was written by Graham and recorded uh, by the Mindbenders. Yeah. Right, well, we are, I, it, the, it's in my diary a few times, so we must have learnt it, and I have no memory of it at all. It's quite a, a, an unusual choice in that pretty hard-hitting lyric about a, a teenage pregnancy, actually, you'll hear. Um uh, anyway, yeah, let's let's hear it. You're, and it was it was released by the Mindbenders but as a did, single. But we did sing songs with hard hitting lyrics. We sang right. a song called Theodore about okay. uh, about suicide. We, okay. we this, this was black, brown, and beige. Yeah, we, right. And we sang a song. I think Janice Ian, Society's Child, yes, about okay. a, you know a forbidden romance between right. black and white. Yeah. You know, we yeah, did yeah. black, brown, and beige like that. We liked oh. that is know, that the is material that was cutting edge. Yeah, that's, that is edgy, isn't it? It really is. She was attracted by his groovy looks. He taught her lessons. She couldn't find him books. He swore he'd love her forever and the day. And she believed him. She let him have his way. I don't remember it. I have to be honest. I don't remember it. But that... Ah, it's lovely, isn't it? That it's a, there's a lovely kind of a major seventh clash in the harmonies there that actually is really um, gorgeous, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that, that section of the song would be very black, brown and beige. We'd have had right. three parts. Sadly, I don't, sadly, I don't remember it. I expected it to go, oh, yes. Yeah. But right, okay. I, I didn't. It didn't. Maybe but, it uh, changed. Maybe the song changed. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did because that's that version is very much a pop song, uh, mm. and we didn't have you know bass or drums or anything like that. We were very um, acoustic based. Um, but that's it's. But it's great to hear. It's great. It's great. Absolutely great to hear that again. Mm. The next really <laughs> exciting. Uh, well, I'm in between them. I'm sort of buying clothes and mummy's treating me to fabulous outfits and everything because on the 23rd of May, we're back in London. Uh, 23rd of May, London by train all day with Graham and Harvey. Now it's funny, I think this is a day, we were in a carriage and Graham has a memory that, that we wrote a song together in the carriage, but I, I can't remember that. But Graham says he can. Uh, and that we sang for Peter Pritchard at the Talk of the Town. That was quite incredible. 
Uh, we were on that huge stage and we auditioned for Peter Pritchard. Wow, the talk of the town. That's, that's, the, what, that's what became the Hippodrome. That's right on the corner of Leicester Square. Is that near Leicester Square? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then after that, and I also I've got here, um, I use Graham's guitar. Graham, I must have, that, must, that would have been very, very, very special that he would, that Graham, yeah. I, I'm, I can imagine how I would have felt that Graham would trust me. Um, yeah. Because I think Harvey had ordered instruments for us, but mine hadn't come. Okay. And Graham said, you can play my guitar. And when I think about that now, I'm like, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he must have really, really trusted me. He must have trusted me that, you know, I would treat his guitar with, with obviously, you know, such, such respect. And I did. And obviously it was so important to me that I wrote that down. Um, mm. Yeah. Went to London on the 720 train all day with Graham and Harvey and girls sang at the talk of the town uh, audition and we had photos and here it's here in my diary where it was such a fabulous day that at the back of my diary uh, I wrote a full a timeline what time we met at the station oh wow, um, wow. oh Graham has sang me his new song while the others went for breakfast there I remember that they all went off to eat but I mean for me, listening to Graham's new song was actually more important than food. So, <laughs> Too so, right. he and I, so he and I were in the carriage together where he played me his new song. So arrived in Houston, walked to the recording studios where we met Mike Collier. Graham, ah, recorded, right. Graham recorded the quickest record on record. <laughs> She's won it again. Oh, okay. So that, that doesn't ring a bell. John Reed brought Echo guitar for Mavis. So Mavis got her guitar, but I, for some reason, didn't. Went back to Mike Collier's office with John, uh, Mavis and Graham went out to buy guitar straps because we were going to be performing at the, we had to stand up with these guitars. They went out to buy guitar straps. Took taxi to the talk of the town. Harvey and John came with us. John, John is, I've forgotten momentarily John's surname, but John is a friend of Harvey's that was often around and with us and a lovely guy. Right. Lovely mm-hmm. guy. And yeah. the, the talk of the town, I, I only remember it from the telly. Um, there was a wonderful Carpenters uh, show that they televised in the sort of mid-70s. It looked like a gorgeous venue. Uh, Shaftesbury Avenue, is that right? I think so. We were on a huge stage, which we weren't used to. And there was, you know, people sitting, obviously Peter Pritchard and Harvey and John and whoever else was there, a few people in an empty theatre. And it was a bit, we were very much out of our comfort zone because remember we were a little, we sang at parties, yes. all closed together. We sang, you know, in Tom Jones's bedroom, you know, we sang in enclosed spaces. We weren't, we, we had done, we, we had done a performance, I think at the Lesser Free Trail. We sang in, in, in TV studios where we were cramped around one mic. We right. it was quite, I can remember feeling quite overfaced, right, by, right. you know, being on that huge stage. So 12 o'clock, got to dressing room to get ready. Uh, one o'clock, I've done the timeline. We sang, I use Graham's guitar. Two o'clock, went for dinner at Chinese restaurant with John and had hysterics. Well, that would be like <laughs> nerves coming out, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, you're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. doing something and then all getting hysterical afterwards. Oh, wow. Harvey came later, went back to Mike Collier's office. This is the next bit's interesting. 
Harvey and Graham and, and us went by taxi to Mickey Most's office. <laughs> Harvey, this was a day when Harvey got all these appointments. Bless him. He was determined to sell us to somebody. Yeah. Right. If it wasn't going to be Tony Palmer, if it wasn't going to be EMI, if it wasn't going to be Peter Pritchard, he got us in front of Mickey Most. Wow. Uh, went by taxi to Mickey Most's office where <clears throat> the BBC were chaotically making a film. They included Graham in it. Oh, but rejected his record. Oh, well, I'm so, sure Graham did have a lot of rejections the way everybody did. Yeah. We saw Jeff Beck and Stevie Winwood. Oh, wow. Heroes. I've also got a memory. Maybe I've not written his name down. I've got a memory of meeting Pete Townsend as well. Right. Because I thought, Oh, no, it's a bit personal. I think I thought, what a big nose he's got. There's a lot of that around. There's no, nothing, <laughs> nothing, wrong, nothing wrong with that. You won't be the first to say I that think, Pete has a big nose. No. Right, OK. And then, so I can remember, again, well, we'd have been sitting on desks swinging our legs, wouldn't we? Because we, <laughs> we sang for Mickey Most. Uh, and I can remember the exact conversation. I remember why Mickey Most had to say no to us. And I'm sure this will be well documented by other people. Um, but after that, all right, we, we, I will tell you that because either Mickey Most actually said this in front of us mm -hmm. or Graham told us afterwards that Mickey Most himself was, he was under contract to, I think she was called Marion, who was Lulu's manager. And oh, yes. Mickey Most had to sign that he wouldn't record any other female artists. Wow. Okay. Now, either that's true or it's a lovely get out of saying no to three little girls who were hopeful. You know, you'll make me want to shout. That's extraordinary. So we, don't know, we don't know what the truth is. But it forever, it, our story, our, our, our story was, and we couldn't record with Mickey Most because, he, it, because Lulu had him by the short and curlies and he couldn't take us on. So that's outrageous, um, isn't it? It's like turning down the Spice Girls because you've got Banana Rama on your on your book. Yeah. <laughs> it's outrageous. That is outrageous. But that was what I haven't written that down. But that's my right. memory of what we understood. Okay. But after oh. that, we met the photographer Gerard Mankiewicz. Oh wow! Who? Yeah, wow. Who was very much the sixties photographer? Yeah, yeah. And the son yeah. of the late of uh, Wolf Mankiewicz. Hmm. Who was, um, was he a film director, writer, producer? Uh, who took us to Soho Square where we posed for loads of pictures. Have I sent you those pictures, Paul? Yes. Of, uh, Soho Square. I think yes. we're all standing around the statue of uh, King Charles I. Yeah. I can send it you again. Yeah, no, I have, I have got them. I, did I, did I forward them on to you, Sean? I, I think, think so, I Paul. Yes, I remember seeing you um, yeah. in, so this, in London. Yes, yes, yes. This day was incredible because we spent wow. the whole day. Harvey was determined for us to meet as many people as we possibly could, and right. he did. All, all credit to him. And then five o'clock, back in the office. I don't know whose office that was, unless it was Mike Collier's. Uh, and then we, you know, back at the office, we got on the train and came back. But I mean, what a day. Yeah. It's amazing. When but, I was exactly the same, sorry, Paul, when I was exactly the same age, my mum and dad took me and my brother to London. 
And for us, the highlight, and in fact, the only thing of any note that happened to us was that we went to McDonald's for the first time. <laughs> so this really does put things in perspective. Good yeah. grief. Uh, wow. Well, what, a day, what a day. Yeah. We, we should say, whilst we're just making the sort of connections here, Mike Collier uh, was one of the Manchester mob. I uh, don't know whether you know the Manchester Mob, Carol. That was a kind of loose collective name that made various records. I've heard, I've heard the term, yeah. Right, Graham and Peter Cowup and various other people. So that, that sort right. of explains where he comes in. Mm. Blimey. Wow. Um, how, how do you top that? Yeah, what's next? I can't wait to hear what happens. What's next? Well, just just not to digress, but just to pick up on the McDonald's. The first McDonald's <laughs> Sorry, I my fault. The first, no, I love it, Sean. The first <laughs> McDonald's I ever went to, and you're going to really think I'm name dropping now. The first McDonald's I ever went to, I was working on a cruise ship in the 1980s, and we were in South America, and I was either in Montevideo or Recife or Caracas, and mm. the McDonald's had, or we could have been, it could have been in Rio, and it, it, the McDonald's chain had just started, right. When I finished that uh, particular contract, which was three months cruising, and I came home, McDonald's was open on Market Street in Manchester. Mm. And I loved going because it always made me feel that as if I was still in South America. <laughs> you must be the only people, person who feels like that when you go into the McDonald's on Market Street, Carol. <laughs> I tell you, it's not, it's not yeah. the best, but anyway. The, the, other, the other thing is that if we've got time um, to backtrack, it's just that when you mentioned Phil Lisberg, and how lovely he was with with um, a girl he was with Selkirk, yeah. With um, I've also got a little story there as well as a, as a as a postscript, if you like, about oh, Phil. Yes, of but, course, but, lovely. Because um, I met Phil, and Phil asked me to do something, um, which I'll come back to. So okay. after that, twenty third of May, where all those fabulous things happened, I used Graham's guitar. We had our pictures taken. We sang at the talk of the town. See notes at the back of the diary. I've read them out. The next really important date is the 27th of May. Uh, we were all at Nuns. It's a Saturday afternoon. We phoned Harvey. Is Harvey coming around to see us? And Harvey announces, Black Man and Beige, you can't do Tally Man because oh. Jeff Beck is. Yeah. Oh, yes. So that's the date we find out that Jeff Beck is doing Tally Man and oh. it's been taken off us. Oh, what, what, yeah, criminal. Can we just have a little burst of that, Carol? I'd love to. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. When did you last Thank hear you. it, do you think? In the 60s. Wow. It was a hit, a minor hit. In fact, one of Graham's last hits as a kind of, you know, writer for hire, if you like. Yes. Um, in 1967, so not long after we were okay. talking about. Must we... have been Rush released. Yeah. Here we go. Jeff Beck, Tallyman. Yeah. 
great drumming there. Isn't it yeah. just? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cracking you know, tune, I, isn't it? I, I appreciated that so much more just hearing it then. I, I do remember my initial reaction when I heard it, uh, whenever it came out. I preferred Graham's version. Mm. I preferred Graham because, mm-hmm. of course, that was the version I was used to. And also, this is a couple of years before I pick up a bass guitar, yeah. and, mm. I've, and, and I've not, I'm not used to electric squealing electric guitars uh, because we're working acoustically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sure, I'm sure they have their place in pop music, but <laughs> I haven't yet come to appreciate that. No. So How in those days, mm, in those days, I would have, and it's probably why I can't remember hearing uh, Jeff Beck's version, but listening to it then, yeah. I really enjoyed. I, I would have appreciated things now that I wouldn't have appreciated then. It was great, wasn't yeah. it? Well, same, for, same for so many of us. And, and of course, yeah. Yeah, your ear wasn't, your taste buds weren't quite attuned no, to, they haven't, to that they grit. Haven't developed they? Enough, have yeah. they you know, you haven't got that taste. Um, and of course, that's got, you know, I, uh, Jeff Beck's iconic, you know, wonderful guitar sound. I mean, I love what uh, Jeff Beck does now. And there's a couple of things that I've watched on YouTube because he's got this incredible, wonderful girl with him, this Tal Wickenfield, uh, this okay. fantastic girl, young girl bass player that's always oh, with him. Right. And then, of course, you know, as soon as I knew that, that he'd got this young girl on bass who was just, this girl was just phenomenal. Oh. Of course, he just, woo, went right up in my <laughs> estimation. Yeah, <laughs> female musicians at last are going to have a place in, in the pop world. So, um, oh, wonderful. I, I, sorry to butt in there, Carol, but it, it's really interesting that you mentioned Pete Townsend earlier. Because for me, that version of Tallyman, it's got Pete Townsend written all over it, I think. Don't you think? It's mid 60s Who kind yeah, of re- actually, reincarnated. Actually, yes, it is their sort of thing. Can't explain can type that. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's... it would be there. That's a great drummer on that track. Isn't that a fabulous fill that he does? Yeah. yeah I, I and in don't... those days, you know he actually played it twice because they couldn't do <laughs> what they did today, which is digital. Like, oh, you played it great that time. Come on, we'll move it and put it there. Yeah. You know, yeah. but you really played it, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, w- I wish I knew who, who the musicians were, although I do know just from somebody on the YouTube comments said that Ron Wood is also on that track, oh, which okay. is interesting. Yeah. Um, Ron Wood of the Stones is on the track. Uh, of course, every, everybody was playing on everybody else's tracks. I do have I do have one thing to say about Tallyman. It's kind of, it's a bit tangential, but it's kind of related. And you may know this story, Carol. But um, Karma was served in the end for uh, Jeff Beck taking Tallyman off you because I don't know whether you know uh, Jeff Beck was in the room when Superstition by Stevie Wonder was written in fact Jeff Beck was playing the drums Mm. uh, when Stevie Wonder came up with the iconic Superstition riff you know one of the greatest soul songs of all time and Stevie Wonder initially said to Jeff Beck oh you can have this as your next single Mm. and Jeff Beck was uh, is quoted as saying something like oh my god he's given me the riff of the century uh, but then Stevie changed his mind and said, uh, actually, I'm going to release it, so you can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> Karma is served. Nice, yeah. nice. I love it. amazing. And just, just going back to Graham's version, the vocal harmony, I'm guessing um, there was a lovely singer attached to Kennedy Street and I, I didn't have very much to do with her, but I met her a couple of times in the office and she was called Friday Brown. Oh, and yeah. I'm oh, wondering yes. whether Friday Brown 
sang the backing vocals on Graham's version of Taliman because there are some female vocals in the background, aren't there? Well, um, <laughs> I, I'm hearing Graham's voice singing a, 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 an uncomfortably high harmony, actually. OK, um, OK. Perhaps he did it all himself. I'd, I'd be really, when, when we send you the tracks, Carol, I'd be, I'd be really interested in your detailed feedback about, um, about what you're hearing. Um, but for um, me, I, th- I think it's two. We yeah. can play you a bit of Friday. Oh, she's done. Uh, yeah, we have a. She has a beautiful voice, um, and we have a couple of. Have we got that? Um, We've got Graham an acetate, Holder, haven't we? Yeah, which is a Graham song, which was never released. If we can dig that one out, where she sings absolutely beautiful, uh, beautiful. Did Harvey manage her as well? Yes, I think so. I've got Growing Older. That was the one you mentioned, yeah, wasn't that, it, Paul? I don't know whether you know this song. It's like yet another Graham and Jaime song. She's really beautiful it and is, she does a I, I, terrific version. I absolutely version. love this. Pick a flower that's growing wild Like you did when you were just a child Gorgeous, isn't it? Oh. We'll, send, we'll send you that as well, Carol, as oh, part of the bundle of tracks. That we isn't, isn't the timbre of her voice oh, isn't it? gorgeous? It's so nice. And there's a nice edge to it as well. Uh, oh, really gorgeous. lovely. Gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, we only met her a couple of times and we knew that she was very much involved with what was going on, but we didn't... Well, we were three girls and she sure. was... But, um, but we knew we knew of her. We knew what she was doing. We knew she was recording with Graham and everything. We just, you know, mm. I'd forgotten how gorgeous her uh-huh. voice mm. was. Yeah, yeah is I, I don't know where she is or what she's doing. She, but she, she, she's still alive. Um, I, I think she's long since retired, but um, living a quiet life, I believe. But yeah, she's 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 still with us. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Well, listen, if you're in touch with her, please send her my love if she remembers me. <laughs> uh, we're not, but we would love to be. And if we ever do, of course we will, yeah. So after the 27th of May, which is when we are told specifically that Jeff Beck is going to do Taliman, the next date I've got from the 27th of May is the 1st of June. And this is significant for me. Although we're, it's very, very up and down. My diary is so... Anyone picking this up these days might just think that I was bipolar, but I wasn't. It was just, mm. it was just the way things, it was just the way things were. Because um, one minute nothing's happening and then the next minute it's all on again. Uh, but on the 1st of June, met the girls and went to Harvey's office, saw the photos. Those would be the Gary oh, yes. photos. <clears throat> and I've just written quite good. <laughs> Sat in Piccadilly Gardens. Harvey offered me a summer holiday job. Oh. Very good. 
Harvey offered me a summer holiday job in his office huh? with his secretary named Pamela, Pamela, remember <laughs> the days. Harvey's <laughs> secretary is called Pamela. Wow. And I know where Pamela is now. She lives in Chicago. And her sister uh, lives not far from me and is a wonderful musician and uh, music teacher and choir leader. And um, Pamela's sister and I met perhaps about 10 years ago, and I had no idea that she was Pamela's sister. Wow, that's interesting. That so, is, my, so this so, was a job, a job in Kennedy Street Enterprises? Yeah, oh. yeah. So throughout, because I'm finishing my A-levels and I'm leaving school, mm-hmm. uh, and I've applied for teacher training college because I didn't get into university. Right. Um, and um, uh, all, all for my, for my summer holidays, Harvey's going to America. Uh, lots of things are going on with Graham and things in the office. And um, Pamela needs some help, just someone probably to make the teas, to open the mail, mm. to answer the phone. Mm-hmm. And Harvey asked me if I would like to, to do that. And of course, of course, I said yes. Wow. Wow, you, that so would that, have been so fascinating. You must have had all brilliant. sorts of characters on the phone. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Well, one of the most iconic phone calls that I can remember word for word to this day <laughs> yeah. is that um, I spoke to John Paul Jones, the bass player, wow. on the phone, and I rang him because I had all the you know relevant phone. I had access to phone yeah. numbers, yeah. Um, but you know Harvey must have trusted me to be you know sensible and professional and yes. not to abuse any information that was there and I didn't you know I, yes. I, hand on heart I knew that I did a good job and I you know honoured the situation that I was in sure. but I rang John Paul Jones because by that time well no he hadn't joined Led Zeppelin by then I don't think he had I don't think he no, that was but he, but he was the string arranger at yeah. EMI and yes. he wrote all the string parts for John Barry and Adam Faith do, do, do. All those staccato string parts. Well, do you want if you don't want money? Exactly. All those string parts were written by John Paul Jones, right? I knew I wasn't going to university. I knew I had a place at teacher training college. I did not want to be a teacher. I wanted to be a musician. I wanted more knowledge. I knew that I could only learn so much. You know, it was 1967. The Leeds College of Music didn't open until 1972. There was nowhere for someone like me to Mm -hmm. go to learn, to carry on studying music. There was nowhere for me to go. If you weren't going to be grade eight on two instruments, you weren't going to get into the Royal College. If you weren't going to get A's and B's academically, you weren't going to get into university. And I just fell below Mm -hmm. that. And I didn't know where to go. You can tell I was so passionate about it. Yes, yes, yes. I want, and I decided I wanted to be an arranger because I knew how to arrange harmonies. I knew how music should sound. I knew that some instruments were in the tenor clef or the alto clef. I knew, and I wanted to learn. And I rang John Paul Jones and we had a wonderful conversation and he was so kind. And he gave me a list of books because, and he sympathized with me. He graduated from the Royal, from um, Trinity. He'd been through Trinity College of Music where he'd learned 
you know, obviously he got the degree from Trinity. Yes. And he was writing all the string arrangements. And I was saying to him, look, I'm just like a little part-time girl in Harvey Lisberg's office, uh, but I play and I sing and I finish my A-levels, but I want to be a musician. I want to be um, a good musician. I want to learn, I want to study. And he gave me a list of books. But when I looked at them, I knew it wasn't something that I could do on my own. Mm -hmm. Right. I wasn't that skilled at working on my own and needed, I needed to be taught. I needed to be at a college. I needed to be with people who could help me. And that didn't exist. Wow. But he was so lo he was so kind to me on the phone. And it's it's a phone call. <laughs> and I, I, you know, it was something I wanted so much. Right. Um, and it took me many, 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 many years, decades in fact. It was only in later year in the 70s, in 1975, when I fell in love and married a wonderful musician who composed and wrote arrangements. And I was his copyist, which meant that when he'd written a score, I would, I, because obviously the Sibelius didn't exist and these things yes. didn't, you know, and I would be working overnight copying from his score. Wow, and that, mm. that is a, a laborious job. But all that's left is a place dark and lonely A terraced house in a mean street back of town Becomes a shrine when I think of the only Just to work to down But going back to that conversation with John Paul Jones, that was such, so precious. And because, um, you know, Harvey really gave me that wonderful opportunity to be in his office, to meet mm. people, to learn, I mean, crumbs, I can remember opening mail, opening checks mm. for Graham, for right. writers from yeah. all over the world. Mm. Wow. Yeah. He, he certainly did. It, at that time, he was doing very well, wasn't he? I opened his PRS checks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was an eye-opener, I bet. Yeah. Yes. And rightly so, rightly so, of yeah. course. Uh, talking of your conversation with John Paul Jones, uh, Carol, um, of course, it's only a few months in the future that John Paul Jones would be doing some amazing arranging for Graham in in the, in London in the studio for Graham's debut album, and I've just got a little uh, tune to play you here, which is just one of the beautiful things off that album. Uh, oh, fab! Yes, and this has John Paul Jones's signature all over it. Oh, wow! Yeah. <laughs> She's there, I say, please share my umbrella. Bus stops, bus goes, she stays, love grows under my umbrella. All that summer we enjoyed it, wind and rain and shine. That umbrella we employed it, by August she was mine. Every morning I would see her waiting at the stop Sometimes she'd stop and she would show me what she bought Other people stared as if we were both quite insane Someday my name and hers are going 
nothing, no more sheltering now. Nice to think that that umbrella led me to a Here's to Piccadilly. Piccadilly third. Piccadilly third. Yeah, we're ending. Yes, yes. Oh, I'm shivering. I'm shivering. I know. Isn't that wonderful? Gorgeous string. Gorgeous. Yeah. And such such a different version. Gorgeous. Are you familiar with that album, Carol? It's called The Graham. Okay, well, uh, we'll make sure, you know, you you have access to that as well. It's called The Graham Goldman Thing, and it's an album Graham recorded of mostly you know songs that had been hits for other people already some new songs and it was um arranged uh, by John Paul Jones and he played bass on it and he got all the musicians together it's a it's a it's a fantastic record so yeah tell, you can tell i mean and i do remember that he said he studied at trinity so i mean he was well uh, well versed in writing string quartet arrangements and string yeah. string ensemble. Mm. Interesting. Very. I, I'll send you a, a version of Bus Stop. Uh, that in my sixties band we do Bus Stop. Huh? And oh, yeah. our the lady who arranges uh, we have because we have we're a very unusual sixties band. We have uh, obviously I play bass, drums, guitar. Um, uh, the a guitarist sings, and we've got a lead uh, female vocalist. Uh, but we have live violin and viola. Oh, brilliant. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and, but we have a keyboard player. So our arranger, Angela, uh, arranges, uh, she writes everything. She writes the parts for violin and viola. And I will, uh, we did, in lockdown, we did, um, you know, we did, we, we all, she sent us a keyboard part and we all, she sent us all the music and we recorded and she's got the technical know-how to put it all together. Yes. Uh, so it's, we've done a, um, a visual. I've got it on WhatsApp. I'll send oh, it. Yeah. Oh, wonderful! Oh, yeah, please. yeah, please do. Because actually, 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 this is so interesting. Uh-huh. I wanted Graham to know what we've done, mm. and right. we were going to send it to Graham, but then we didn't. You know, because oh, we well, we'll, we'll, we'll send it. Loved it. That's the way the whole thing started. Silly, but it's true. Thinking of a sweet romance beginning. was melting, no more sheltering now. Nice to think that that umbrella yeah, I just want to add one insert because you know I'm a Beatle obsessive. The first of June, 1967, was the day that Sergeant Pepper was released, and that's the day you were offered the job at Kennedy Street Enterprises. Wow. So I just wanted to put that in context for the Summer of Love, 1967. And that's what you'd have been doing in your lunch hour, queuing at some record shop eight, up Oldham eight. Street or something. I, I, I know I had it because I know I had the record. Um, I know I had the record and I don't know whether mum got it for me or hmm. I don't know how I got it, but I know that I had it. All the people stared as if we were both quite insane. Sunday, Monday, Mondays are going to be the same. Um, at the, talking about my 60s band, which is called Silhouette, um, at the moment, we've got a gig on hold. Posters are being distributed. And am I allowed to tell you this? Yeah, Paul, go on. It depends. Paul Burgess, Paul Burgess has agreed to play drums with us. Oh, fabulous. Oh, right. 
It's funny you should say that because we're talking to him on Thursday, actually. We're <laughs> well, talking to Paul. Small world. After, yeah. after we met um, for that coffee, yeah. um, which you bought me, and I don't know what was in it, Paul, but I was incredibly oh. hyper. Um, oh, I just... messaged, I messaged, I think it must have had a treble shot of caffeine in it. Oh. <laughs> I messaged Paul to say that, um, you know, I'd had a lovely conversation and I knew that we were all in touch and that... Um, oh. You know, and that you know, and then he sent me some funny things on WhatsApp. <coughs> it's lovely the way he keeps in touch with me. And um, uh, we've got him on hold for our New Year's Eve gig. Oh wow! Know. What were you saying before, Carol, about having an argument with Graham in the milk bar? Yeah, we 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 argued about my harmony paper. I'm so obviously I was just full of the fact that I'd just done this exam and I'd take my grade seven piano exam. And I was discussing the harmony paper with Graham. And Graham was refuting that it had any value at all. Mm. He would say, Carol, that has no value at all. It's all about um, what you hear in your head, the harmonies you can create, what you can play on your instrument. There is, there is absolutely no point in having studied how to write you know, four-part arrangements as would have been written in the style of Bach or Mozart. Well, that is controversial. Well, I can see from Graham's point of view, uh, as somebody who obviously is an instinctive musician and is already a successful musician, but for somebody who wants to forge a career in the music business, n- not as a pop star, but as a, you know, as a working musician, then qualifications are important, aren't they? Or can be important. And, and some technical knowledge is, is certainly, it's certainly helpful for me in a, well, in a, yeah, be- in a Beach too. Boys tribute band, you know. Well, I'll read out exactly what I've put on yeah. Friday the 14th of July. Graham came in, um, as he came into the office, he took us out to lunch at the Milkmaid. So, yes, that would have been me and Pamela. Argued with me about my horrible harmony pain. I must have been saying, actually, perhaps he was just being very sympathetic to me. Now I reread my words. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'd felt very miserable about this paper and I'd found it very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously I wanted to pass my A-level music. Um, which I did, but not very well. Um, and obviously, I just had it in my head. And any time I saw Graham, I just wanted to talk to him about music. So he, I put, my actual words argued with me about my horrible harmony paper. But he linked my name with his musically and the Beatles and said, if you think about the way we want to work, that's the way forward. So, in other words, actually, when I've put the type, the word argue, it's a bit of um, it's a bit of an oxymoron, actually, because mm. he was, I think, he was helping me. You were in arguing. agreement, yes, sure, you were. Sure. He was, he was, he was arguing the fact that the harmony paper, which I put, was horrible, arguing the fact that maybe that wasn't going to be the route that would take me forward as a musician anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, hmm. it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is fascinating because the way I've actually written it 
I'm obviously quite churned up about it all. On the 19th of July, Black, Brown and Beige are on TV, first-timers. And in my diary, now I couldn't, now I do remember this day very well. Um, I couldn't, and this was the first time we were on TV, I couldn't sit at home, I couldn't sit at home and watch it. Hmm. You were too nervous, you mean? Yeah, I couldn't (laughs) sit at home and watch it. I, it's like this thing that's going to be coming on whenever it's coming on and I will have to be alone to watch it, you know. Really? Oh, okay. So I can shout and scream and jump up and down or cry or whatever or go and go to bed and put my head under the covers. Hide behind the settee. Go and buy a wig and become a recluse. (laughs) So I went round to my friend Kay. On that occasion, my dad was a travelling salesman uh, working for a furniture manufacturer and I remember him saying it was somewhere up in Burnley or Blackburn, which in those days I wouldn't have known where that was. It was only like a name of somewhere he used to travel. You know, mm-hmm. I travel as a salesman in the northwest. And he knew that we were going to be on the, and the motorways weren't built then. So yeah. he wasn't going to be able to get back in time to watch. And my daddy was a, an incredibly, incredibly handsome man. He looked amazing you know he was tall and dark and very well dressed very handsome and had a big handlebar moustache and wore uh, a bow tie and Mm. he was an absolute character an an absolute character and he knew he wasn't going to get home in time so he was driving in Blackburn down some um a little he said he said he said I drove down this row of terraced houses and I saw one house at the end that had a television aerial. He said <laughs> he got out of his car and he knocked on the door. Wow. And it was still six o'clock because it was around the news program. Yeah. And he said, um, excuse me. He said, but are you are you are you watching the television? <laughs> yeah. And they looked at him and, and said yes. And he said, My daughter's going to be on the television and I haven't got time to drive back to Manchester. Oh. And they invited him in. They sat oh. him in the best chair, made <laughs> a cup of tea, and they all watched the programme. Oh, that is a nice thing, isn't it? Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah, yeah. I thought, love, lovely family to invite your father in like that That's as well. That's amazing. Nice. What did he make of it? A proud moment? Oh, God, oh, over the moon. My father knows more than I'll ever know. day I had to write this down the 20th it was the day I left school and all our friends had seen us on the telly (laughs) oh yeah that was a good send-off then wasn't it that was a cool thing yeah (laughs) now we're going to jump to the end of July because even though I'm in the office every day it's all about me interacting by this time I'd met a comic whose real name was Reg Reg Gray Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but 
And Harvey decided to manage him, which was unusual for Harvey to manage a comic. Mm. And he called himself John Paul Jones. But the Jones was J-O-A-N-S. Ah, this is very interesting. This guy, of course, comes back into the strawberry story later because he actually had a hit record backed by the guys in 1970, I think. That's right. Yes, yes, of course. So prior to that... He'd been sort of brought into the um, agency. He was probably getting booked by the, the cabaret side. It was very outrageous, very outspoken. He was very sort of like aggressive with the audience. He was kind of really ahead of his time. Yeah. Yeah, and he was right. kind of quite scary. But he and I got on very, very well because he was completely, he was, he was a real off-the-wall, zany character. And he absolutely mm-hmm. fascinated me. And I started to spend quite a lot of time with him, which I think worried my mum quite a lot. Uh, And so because we were, um, he'd written some very, very weird, outrageous lyrics and he needed someone to set them to music. So Harvey thought that I would have that skill. Um, And so we started to do some work together and because I knew that my parents were worried and because I knew it was, you know, it was poor about the music, um, I invited him when we were working to come to my house so that my mum could meet him and my mum would, sit, you know, make us a cup of tea and meet him everything and, you know, for, for my parents not to be worried about who I was mixing with. Um, so a lot of my diary is about working with um, Reg and what we were doing um, and Reg took us to his gigs and Reg developed an act where I would be like, I would travel with him to the gig and I'd be like, just like a plant in the, in the audience. Okay. Right. And he would start to get very aggressive in the, with the audience. And yeah. he would say, I've got, this, I've got this song I want to sing and I'm going to ask somebody in the audience to come and play. Well, of course, that was me because I was the plant. So yeah. I would like, he would like very look at me and point at me very aggressively. And of course, the audience were all like, oh, you know, they'd never seen anything like this before. But I would sort of, you know, act a little bit and be look at him like I was absolutely terrified. But then I'd sit down at the keyboard and play. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then the audience would laugh. You know, this was all part of his yeah. act. So this was all part of the zany stuff that we did. On the 28th of July, I've written down, recorded Reg's songs, saw Johnny Hampert Granada TV. Reg was doing first timers. Oh, okay. So I would have gone back if I was playing for him or whatever, although I really don't, I don't remember anything about it, but it's Mm -hmm. just written in my diary that I went back, that I saw Johnny Hamp again at Granada. So by this time, I'm kind of working as a musician, you know, supporting yeah. his writing. Mm. So Reg uh, or John wasn't a musician per se. He didn't play an instrument. Is that no. right? Okay. Yeah, it was a comic. Yeah. yeah. Well, but his hit, I'm trying to remember, his hit that he had was The Man from Nazareth, wasn't it? Yeah. Which I think was I think was 1970, so that was sometime later. I yes. presume you was an embryonic version of that already around, or was that... I'd have to listen to it because here um, I've I've referred to the pigs song. So, which is the song that I did the music for uh, on Monday, the 31st of July, something's going on here. Uh, Graham in, that means Graham's in the office and Reg. Mm -hmm. I went back to Reg's place and heard the pigs song. Right. 
And I've put much to my embarrassment. <laughs> this was a hit um, round about the same time as the Andrethal Man and slightly overshadowed okay. by it. Back by the 10cc boys, yeah? Well, well you can see the, the writing credits there, Godly, Stuart, Cream and Davidge. Is that, is that Reggie's... Is that Reggie's surname? Yes. Oh, right. Savage, yeah. Because he so has based... several, several um, surnames, yes. Okay, yeah. So, but... 1970, came out on Columbia. Wow, okay.
Yeah. Yeah. Quite a quite a success. It's amazing That's that extraordinary. a song. It's a song that is is kind of as weird as that can be a hit. It's quite. Yeah. They were great times, weren't they? That the song, you know, is. That, that's that's a bit like a Ramesses collaboration, isn't it, Sean? It Where is you've really. got some somebody with a very very raw material, and they the other guys have obviously sculpted it into definitely. A, and it's unmistakably it's it's an unmistakable hybrid of Hot Legs and Ten CC, I think, with the, oh, yeah, the yeah. proper Ten CC guitar sound, the kind yeah. of the Hot Legs kind of almost tribal drumming, tribal, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then the the, the kind of. Basic basic backing vocals that that are very distinctive of what um, Kevin Lull and, and Eric were doing at, in the early seventies. I've never heard that. And, you uh, never heard it, Sean? No, I've, I know I know of it, and I know that right. the artist's name. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, strangely, never heard it. But oh, thank you, thank you. July, we were we heard the groovy world of Jack and Jill, and Harvey wanted us to record it. All right, right. tell us more about that that song or, or well, play. Um, <laughs> what what was it? Ago. It's a while ago now, but you can find it on yeah the groovy the, world the groovy of Jack one. and Jill. It was recorded by Marcia somebody. Oh, we should have a listen to that. Yeah, we have the world of Jack. And Jill, it had an augmented chord in it. Oh, <laughs> brave. Marcia Strassman. Yeah. Oh, how yeah. intriguing. And Harvey wanted Black, Brown and Beige to do the um, UK cover. Right. So can we have a, just a, a listen to half yeah, of Yeah, let's have that? a listen to it, yeah. In the groovy world of Didn't get the was that it was a diminished chord the first time round wasn't the, it we the last one of each section is, is, well it, it did we didn't get it the second time round but the, at the end of the first verse we've got a very tasty they used it as the cadence to introduce like the second part of the verse didn't they yeah, yeah it did yeah. sound a bit weird like an H diminished or something <laughs> very yeah. very unusual but I like yeah. the sound I like the sound of that so, so yeah. Harvey Harvey kind of A and R'd that song for you did he yes he it, that had been I don't know if it had been some kind of minor hit in... In Denver, uh, it turns out. Yeah, and um, Harvey um, sourced it for Black, Brown and Beige. Um, but I don't have many details on um, what we did with the song. You don't but remember it, recording it? But I, but, I do, but I do have this comment... Um, but on the second, so on the thirty-first of July, we heard "Groovy World" of Jack and Jill, and I think Harvey would want us to try and learn it. Um, but on the second of August, Harvey phoned. Harvey's still in America, and he's spoken to he's spoken to John Sebastian ah. and Paul Simon. Wow! And they're both going to write for us. 
What? This is the uh, loving spoonful, John Sebastian. Good grief. Um, sadly, I, I guess if they had, we'd have known about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, dot, or, or, dot, uh, dot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still. It's an entry in my diary. Still. Well, kudos to Harvey for, for, yeah. for, for getting yeah. a meeting and, and trying. We have to know what happened to that. To that little mini story, or are you gonna are you gonna give us the conclusion later in your diary? There's not very much. There's not. There's not very much about it. It doesn't get. You mean the John Sebastian and Paul Simon? Yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. Get mentioned again. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't get mentioned. It it was it was just Harvey saying he'd spoken to them and they were going to write songs for us. Now, if they then discovered that we were like three little unknown girls. They probably thought, why should we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he obviously had some clout, enormous clout as a manager of Herman's Hermits, who were, yeah, yeah. you know, commercially incredibly successful. What's brilliant about it is that he was still trying. Yes. Yeah, that's lovely. Now, when was the Monterey Pop Festival? Because both John Sebastian and Paul Simon were involved in that. It was 67, but I don't know if it's summer, I'd have assumed. Yeah, when, wasn't that round about July? Let's, I'm going to have a quick look. Oh, no. Oh, no, it was before. June the 16th to the 18th of 67. I just wanted to look because I think both Simon and Sebastian were on the kind of board for that festival. I OK, think. along with um, Brian for the ill-fated decision, yeah? Is that what you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, yeah, the Beach Boys never turned up, of course. But um, Yes. So, going back to Groovy World of Jack and Jill, an entry I've made on the 9th of August... Is that we all the black, brown, and beige? We went to Graham's, we went round, I've written, we went round to his house mm-hmm. and started arrangements for Jack and Jill. So, in other words, Graham was going to take a hand in how we were going to do it. Okay. okay. Um, and that's on the 9th of August. Two days later, I must be back in the office. And Graham and I went together to Barrett's, the music shop. This is um, the 11th of August, fabulous day. Uh, Graham went, we went to Barrett's Music Shop to look at guitars, then went for dinner at an Indian place. And then I put just the two of us, and that itself would be unusual because there was always either Pamela or the girls or Harvey or... Yeah. um, He talked to me about himself and music. Well, of course we would, that's all we would talk about. Yes. Then I've actually mentioned the Aston Martin. Wow. Yes, I remember that. I remember having a ride in the Aston Martin. That's Graham's car, yeah? Yeah. It must have taken me perhaps back, you know, back to mum's. That was that. So, and then the next day, went to Nan's. We worked all afternoon and evening on Groovy World and others. So we're busy learning it. Right, right. We're busy busy learning it. Two days later, begin oh middle of August, I get my A level results. Go on. And I've done better in English than I have in music. Uh, hmm. I got a C for English and a D for music. It's all right to pass, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> I actually, yeah, I actually failed my French A level, which was crazy oh. because I've done very well at O level. It was because of there was a horrible there was a literature paper, and I probably haven't read the book. 
you had to read the book. Uh, because my, I would do well in my spoken friend. Well, it's crazy because, I mean, I've not been to Montreal now for a couple of years, but when I'm in Montreal, I'm speaking French. I've used, I used my French, so it didn't bother yeah. me. I suppose I must have been bothered, yeah. <laughs> Ma vie. Then there's a rehearsal at my house. We're rehearsing Groovy World. Um, but Graham says, don't worry about it. There's no hurry to get this ready. I don't know. I've just written that down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're in the office. And Graham and Reg are together in the office. Both together. I've just put G and R both together are a scream. <laughs> Had a good time. So that was been fun and games with them locking yeah, yeah. around. Yeah, I'd like to be a fly on the wall of that. On that <laughs> yeah, afternoon. that would have, that would have been very funny. Um, but then on the second of September, this must be why we're looking at um, guitars. How we two guitars were bought an Epiphone for Mavis and a 12-string for me. Because the last time we needed guitars, I think I'd borrowed a guitar of Graham's. Yes, I remember you telling us about that. And then on the 7th of September, we're back in London with Graham and we shared a session with the Mindbenders. Shared the, shared the Mindbenders session at Olympic Studios, and I've written Olympic Studios. Right. And watched Reduction of Schoolgirl, etc. Ah, great I track. Reduction? I probably mean mixing. Yes. 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 So, yeah, because Graham produced that session. Um, I think we have documentation for it somewhere. Yeah, that rings the bell. She found out later, when she was growing big, he studied nature. She'd been a guinea pig, and then he left her. You've hit it all before, though educated, she didn't know the school. my notes the session didn't go well um, and then I put ours was drowsy mm. maybe his voice was wrong and equipment was broken oh. well the very next day it went from disaster to triumph oh. because the very next day which is Friday the 8th Pam rings me we're on the TV again mm. suddenly they suddenly want us back at Granada so I've my actual words on Friday the 8th of September, fantastic day. Pam phoned to say we're on telly, Granada, three o'clock. Hmm. Seems a funny time. Frantic hmm. time finding Nan. We're on scene at 6.30. Right. And now this is this is what I described to you before. So the first time was first timers. This time we've seen it at 6.30 and this is where we're in a studio, in a corner, huddled together 
I'm holding my plectrum, terrified I'm going to drop it. You're giggling um, at some baby story, yes. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, well, they do it now, don't they, on the news? The last news item is something, you know, to make you smile or make you feel better or something. Yeah, hedgehog yeah. found Same on the moon or whatever. You know, the yeah, baby yeah. Had got lost and the baby was found in the nappy bin and I could feel this, you know, inside. <laughs> so, uh, and I've written more details, seen it at 6.30, live, and we sang If I Had a Hammer. Oh, oh. Wow. You see, we've gone back to our original Folk, folky roots. For us. Mm. The right. people, Mary. Yeah. Pottering out danger, pottering out a warning, pottering out love between the brothers and the sisters all over this yeah, that's interesting. So if things had gone differently, you might have been singing Jack and Jill then, but you'd already sort of canned that by that stage. I think what it was, we knew what suited us. Yeah. And, right. you know, Harvey, I mean, all this information, Harvey just did so much because he knew how good we were. He knew how much potential there could be. But we were in our own pocket of what we were good at. Yes. And what we knew and what we were in our comfort zone and what audiences loved. Mm. Um, and it was that material. So we went on TV and we sang what we were good at. And then it says we met um, Chris Kelly, well, he would have been presenting the programme, and all the you know, people to do with Granada. It was a very exciting day. And then Friday the 15th of September, you're going to love this, spoke to Harvey. He comes home tomorrow. And he hopes we're thin. <laughs> that was an instruction from your manager, was it? Okay. Yeah. How, how very, how very. I'm sick. going to be home. And we ho <laughs> I hope you're thin. This is what he said. None of us were thin. None of us were thin. Right. And then an R met Harvey at the airport, and he kissed us. R. <laughs> <laughs> so there we are. We're nearly at the end, guys, because it's with at the tail end, fifteenth of September. 22nd of September is my last day in the office. Oh, right. it's not the end. On the 27th of September, we all flew to London to record The Groovy World of Jack and Jill. Oh, my goodness. to London to, and we flew no less wow. I mean Harvey is still spending money yeah yeah like crazy he didn't fly you down himself he didn't have a private plane or anything. <laughs> no, no I'm kidding this is from Ring Manchester Ringway Airport as was it would have been I'm just looking for my actual entry in the diary 27th flew to London recorded Jack and Jill good this time oh good and, Ah, because, of course, we'd had a recording that had all gone wrong when yes, we yes. shared the recording with the Mindbenders. So I've put, good this time, Harvey, Graham Goldman, oh, my word, Chris Stamp, Terence Stamp's brother. Oh, oh OK. Right, okay. Right, right, Met right. Chris Stamp. We all went out for dinner. Does it say whether that was Olympic or where, where, where was it recorded? Look, guys, I'm more interested in going out for dinner with Chris Stamper. <laughs> well, okay, okay. Yes, yes. 
And we all went out for dinner. We missed the train. So we went back to Chris's office where we met Pete Townsend. So you said there was a reference to Pete and you found him there. Yeah, I found my reference to meeting Pete Townsend. Wow. So there you go. Um, well, I guess it would be Olympic. I am guess that we'd have gone back to the same studio. Yeah. Yes. Because the thing is, if the recording had been set up, they'd probably already got all the backing. Yeah. So we just probably had to put our voices on again. Yes. Yeah. Have you got uh, any memories of how it ended up sounding? I, this is terrible, Sean. I can't. I can't, I don't even remember. I mean, all my entries in the diary with Graham and we're learning the song, I don't, I don't even recall. I mean, when I hear that Marcia Strassman version, I can sing along to it and mm. I can remember, oh, we knew how to play an augmented chord and all this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't remember, I don't, rem I don't recall Black, Brown and Beige doing it at all, mm -hmm. which is, which is awful really. Well, maybe it just shows you it wasn't the right song or you didn't you know, have that emotional it investment. It something. wasn't the right song because when we went back, when we were called to go on TV, we mm. were doing the songs that we'd grown up doing. Mm. You know, the, the Armenian song, the Israeli song, the If I Had a Hammer. You know, mm. we were doing, we were doing what, was, what, was right, what was right for us. So somewhere there will exist this recording. Yeah. But I don't have any, I don't have it. I've got a real appetite to find it now. Uh, would be good, although, you know, Olympics, not like Abbey Road, of course, haven't even got that sort of archive mentality going on. So I've got no further, other than the Marcia Strassman version that we've all just listened to, mm. I don't have any further information except that that day went really good and we met all these fabulous people. Mm. And had, must have had the most amazing day. And it was that was interesting because we flew we flew to London, but we came home on the train. So, <laughs> but you know, but we were all together, and we had we had the most we had the most amazing time. And then, right, we're nearly finished. So that okay. was the twenty seventh. On the 29th, by this time, Harvey knows it's not going to work. When you when you speak to Harvey next, do tell him that Carol's diary is full of how wonderful you were. 29th of September, met the Rawdons. So this is, this is now the cabaret side of, Harvey's now realised he's just done so much and he, he can't take us any further. Right. But he yes. knows how good we are. He knows how great we sound. He knows how fabulous we look. He knows what we could do and be potentially. So he introduces us to Harry and Derek Rawdon, father and son. Um, sadly, Derek only passed, um, oh, it's not even 12 months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, Derek and his wife, Maureen Lewis, Lewis is the real name, Rawdon was the stage name, um, mm -hmm. went to live in America. And sadly, he only passed away, I think, at the end of last summer. Um. But I think I've mentioned this. Um, Martin Lewis, you know, the money guru, yeah. is a um, is Harry Rawdon's grandson. Oh, wow. Ah, right. So right. Um, at some point in my career, at some point in my life, I'm going to actually let Martin Lewis know that his grandfather chose my stage name, which I really <laughs> kicked back about. <laughs> which it was, was? I was Jackson. I was yes. Carol Jackson. And it was Harry Rawdon who sent me to do a week's cabaret in Ireland and had a poster made 
And t- I went in to sign the contracts and it said Carol Jason. And I was like, who's Carol Jason? Hmm. And Harry went, look, C-A-R-O-L, J-A-S-O-N. Look, it looks fabulous on the poster. There's your contract, sign it. I said, I'm not signing that. I said, I'm not, I'm not signing that. That's not my name. I'm not, I don't do that to me. You can't change my name. And he went, Carol, he said, I've got 20 girls on my books who will come into this office and pick up the pen and sign Carol Jason. <laughs> Give me the pen. Give me the pen. <laughs> uh, and that's how I became, that was Harry Rawdon. So this mm. is on the 29th of September. Met the Rawdons and I've just put, they went potty for us. I've, that's what I've written. Rawdons both went potty for us, can book us all over the world, want to produce us, came out in a stunned state. Wow. And that's what my diary says. Right. And right. so that, that and was then the... Next, the next day, I confess that I'm quite terrified hmm. because we're going to, we're going, they're sending us to the American bases in Turkey and Greece. And I am starting to feel frightened. And right. so, and did that did that tour happen then? Yeah. Right. How did it so, go? Exciting, I bet. On the second, on the second of October, here's something else I'm slightly ashamed of. On the second of October, I signed on at Didsbury College Teach Training College to study music and drama, with a view to being a teacher. And on the sixteenth of October. Two weeks later, I left college. Mavis left Withington Hospital and we started rehearsing for Cabaret. Mm-hmm. And that was... <laughs> no. That was the end of Harvey and Graham oh. and the beginning of our Cabaret life. Less than six months later, it was all over. Black, brown and beige was no more. Right. But what what a roller coaster it's ride! It's the biggest yeah. heartbreak of my life. Oh. Yeah, worse than any relationship or marriage splitting up. <laughs> oh, that was the biggest heartbreak of my life, and I thought. Can I ask what what did for you in in the end? Why the band did break up? Are you able to share that with us? Yeah, because where we were being sent and what we had to perform wasn't right for us. Mm. We went back to singing Peter, Paul and Mary. We went back to singing what we were good at. And the Americans, and we just chucked, we chucked away the cabaret stuff and the sequin dresses and just got rid of it. And we're just, as we started in, in, when we met at school, when we were 14, we were black, brown and beige, singing in three-part harmony. And one of my favourite photographs, which I haven't got to hand right this minute, was singing 
Everybody gonna pray on the very last day when they hear that bell ring the world away. Everybody gonna pray to the heavens on the judgment day. Bum, bum, bum. And it was all in three pop harmony. Yeah, and lovely. I've got photo- and the Americans absolutely adored us. Um, but we came home from that, and Mavis said, I don't want this, I don't want this life. I don't want to be just be sent anywhere in the world to be told what to sing, to be told what to wear. Um, by this time, she she was engaged to somebody. Um, do you remember Phil Showhead? Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> My friend Gary remembers, right, she was engaged to Phil Showhead. Yeah. And she said, that's it. I'm getting married. So the Rawdens didn't want to lose us. Nan and I wanted to carry on. Harvey's off the scene by then. And he comes up with a lovely girl, a lovely girl. She was lovely. I can't remember her name. Her name will be in my next diary. Yeah. Uh, I rehearsed with this, but that was it. You know, Mavis went back to Withington Hospital and trained as a radiographer. Nanique's parents... I think one by one, a mother was ill, then a father was ill, and they left the church and went to live out in Mottram. And she went, because they were both very clever, as I've said to you in earlier presentations. Yeah. Um, she got very good A-levels. She got into Manchester University to study medicine. Blimey. But she didn't complete, she didn't complete um, her medical degree. Um, and she left to look after her parents. And mm-hmm. then her parents wanted to arrange a marriage for her. And she now lives in Yerevan in Armenia. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's sad, but it, uh, yeah, but at least you did it. I mean, you know what I mean? Su- success isn't measured by gold records, really, is it? It's measured by the doing and the experience. Yeah. And you, you packed a hell of a lot into those, goodness, just a few months. So well done, Black, Brown and Beige, for blazing a trail, you know. We, we, oh, I couldn't and agree what, more. What, and what a story. What a story. You know, by this time, I've learned a lot more. Uh, but every time I see Graham, I'm just absolutely and totally in awe of his musicianship. And I just want to crawl inside his musicianship brain and just pull everything out. And I want to be, I want to be, I. And this, of course, is before I've become a bass player. But yeah. I want to be that musician. Mm-hmm. And these are the days and these are the experiences that um, provide me with a platform to have the confidence to go on to the next thing because both the girls go back to medical careers. Can we just ask you very, very briefly about these records? Um, Being Better To Have Loved and then um, very briefly, Carol, if we could ask you to explain how you think that came into your possession, whether you think it was a a present from Graham or were you there at the time, I'd be fascinated. So here we are. Admit your love for her more often than you need to Though people laugh at you but they won't have her near Though you may seem a clown The lovesick dishes racks around In better to have loved Masculine, they say, show you're the boss. 
But when she's gone you think upon the reasons for your love You'll be big enough as I put inside you just die And better to have love than lost Always gets away gets in everything she does You won't have a stainless useless one we love When friends around they put you down they say you look so Did you hear that augmented chord? Yeah. Yes, yeah. My, my mortgage that, is on Graham singing those BVs. I, I think that is him. I, I, this is really confusing because that's the same title uh, as as a song I was listening to this morning, but completely different. So, <laughs> always gets away in everything she does. You don't have a stand, it's useless one we love. When friends around me put you down, they say you look so small. Anything stirred in your memory banks with that, Carol? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. That That's being, right. That I have no recollection of that song, um, and I don't recognise the lead vocalist. Um, I don't recognise that voice. I do recognise that uh, Graham is doing the backing vocals. Yeah. And I would very strongly suspect that Graham will know who that lead vocalist is. Yeah, his memory's good. Yes. He, yeah, that he should tell us, or somebody needs to tell us, because I haven't got a clue who it is. It could be somebody very obvious, but yes. I'm not recognising And Carol, right. thank you for shining such a wonderful, funny and moving light on uh, this little corner of pop history. And I, somehow I feel that your experience... In, in your small way, if I can dare say that, with, with Black, Brown and Beige, has been one of the most enjoyable pop stories I've ever heard. I, I honestly mean that. Oh, wow, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much, Paul, and thank you, Sean, and thank you so much for taking this very, very special interest that you've shown, and mm. thank you for telling me how much you've enjoyed my stories. <laughs> and, you know, thank you for... Um, allowing me, you know, this six-month journey of a young teenage girl's life with her hopes and dreams and aspirations for becoming a musician that are all documented, as I've already always said in green ink, in my diary, in such detail. Thank you so much for allowing me to share this all with you. You're welcome. Carol, can you hold up your diary again? Sean, can you get a picture? Yeah, do you mind if I take a snap of this? Oh, my! got a ticket in here oh well parking ticket <laughs> it's my train ticket to london oh, oh wow. wow oh that's cool signed by pete townsend tom jones <laughs> and i've got some clippings here jeff beck's new disc out on june the 30th is tallyman columbia mm. written by graham goldman and produced by mickey most yeah yeah Oh, there it is. The song, the song that Black, Brown and Beige had to give away, sadly. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah, that's great. Brilliant. That is perfect. Carol, right. what, what can we say? 
And but we you can... know what? Do you know what actually might happen in the strangeness of the world? The week you have it ready might be the week I get a call from Helen, the producer, and tell us that we've got a date for screening for BBC Two. Yeah, it's bound to be, isn't it? Because the world works in such peculiar, mysterious ways. Absolutely. It would be like the un- your universe is coming together. The, the universe is exploding. Yeah. I'll, need to go, I'll need to buy um, a wig and I'll need to become a recluse. <laughs>
You've been listening to The Consequences Podcast, produced by Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Thanks for listening. Hello again, folks. Just a quick postscript here, uh, because I've just been trying to get my head around a little bit of a mystery with one of the acetates that Carol had lent us. Uh, It's a double-sided one with a song that we heard earlier, Being Better to Have Loved, and uh, with a song called Man of Many Seasons on the B-side. Now, we assumed that they were songs written by Graham, but the, the vocalist was a bit of a mystery. Now, I dropped Graham a line, and he's just rung me. And uh, what he's saying is is really interesting. He doesn't recognise the songs. And this kind of illustrates Paul's confusion about two songs with the same title, being better to have loved. Now, Graham remembers writing a kind of a waltzy song with that title. And he said that this version definitely isn't it. And he has no recollection of ever writing Man of Many Seasons. So it looks like they're, they're, they're definitely not Graham's songs. He thinks from listening to the audio that it might be Peter Cowart singing. And I said that I, I thought I could hear Graham's voice on the BVs. And he said, well, that's a possibility. He said that um, the whole group of people were very much a team at that time. So they'd be lending a hand on each other's sessions and so on. But he doesn't actually remember that. But uh, one other little anecdote Graham told me was quite amusing. Uh, He said that he remembers going down to London on the train uh, and with Carol too. And uh, one amusing tale involved them uh, rehearsing tunes in the little compartment on the train. And he said that on one occasion, quite embarrassing because there was another guy reading his paper in, in the same compartment they felt embarrassed that they were singing away and at the end of the journey Graham apologised to this guy and said I'm sorry if we ruined your journey and this guy said well no actually it's made my day it's been the most enjoyable train journey I've had for years so that was nice so um, we may not have have shone any light on those two tunes but at, at least We've kind of ticked a box to say it's definitely not Graham. Just as a little treat, here's a a little extract from Man of Many Seasons. Let's see if any of of you can shed any light as well. Who do you think this is and do you recognise the song? Hope you've enjoyed this episode, guys. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Once a heart so fired, becoming tired, he wants to quit.